0: At an airport in Des Moines, Iowa, a passenger plane had just touched down. Luca Baroni walked across the tarmac to meet it. On board was a small group of visiting Chinese officials.
1: At that time, you could actually walk onto the plane and greet the passenger as they uh, would get off.
0: It was 1985. Airport security was way more lax. Luca worked for the governor of Iowa he was in charge of showing the group around. Luca assumed the oldest member of the delegation would be its leader.
1: In fact, it wasn't. Mr. Xi was a much younger guy than I anticipated.
0: Xi Jinping was 31 at the time. He was a county-level party secretary in Herbei province and the leader of a group of five Communist Party officials.
1: They brought a lot of suitcases. Most of the suitcases were gifts. China in 1985 was not... What is China today? And the thoughtfulness of them to bring gifts at that point and truly leaving a memento of their visit at each stop, I think it was, you know, truly incredible.
0: They might have brought a lot of gifts, but they didn't bring much clothing.
1: I then learned about them, you know, washing their shirts and their socks in the hotel rooms to make sure that, you know, everything was clean and dry by the time the next meeting because they basically were outfitted with one Western suit, which they, you know, worn pretty much all the time.
0: This was C's first visit to America. He and the rest of the delegation had grown up on a steady diet of anti-American propaganda at home. And Lucas says they were a little afraid of what they might find when they stepped outside of their hotel.
1: They felt that uh, they were really five guys that were thrown into a situation going to uh, essentially the mouth of the lion.
0: The group came to Iowa because it was a sister state of Herbe province. They were there to learn about feed processing for animals. Or well, that's what Luca thought at the time.
1: There was a, a mistranslation and it was not a feed processing delegation, but was supposed to be a food processing delegation. So for two weeks, I took... You know, five Chinese from Hebei around looking at animal feed processing and so on and so forth, and they probably wonder, why in the heck am I doing this when they were interested in food processing?
0: It's likely C was there because of his father. The elder C called the delegation to a dinner the night before their trip and told them, learn how to feed our people. Around 20 years had passed since C had run home from a detention centre to beg his mother for a bit of food. But millions of Chinese still didn't have enough to eat. In Iowa, the visitors were too polite to correct the mistranslation. And Lucas says Xi Jinping was really interested in what he saw.
1: He was, you know, really intelligent, uh, very curious. You know, in all our visits and all our exchanges, he always managed to point or learn something or ask very pertinent questions.
0: They visited turkey farms, cornfields, and took a ride on the Mississippi River. A photo from that day shows a beaming Xi Jinping with his arms around his colleagues.
1: For some reason, we really hit it off. We talked about the fact that they like soccer or football. We talked about the American dream. They were interested in my experience and curious about why I was from Italy and decided to come to the United States and stayed.
0: And the mid-80s was a time when the American dream felt pretty real. The economy was booming, a movie star was president, and Hollywood was churning out patriotic blockbusters like Rocky and Rambo. The highlight of the trip for the Chinese delegation was a two-night stay with families in the small town of Muscatine. Xi Jinping slept in a bedroom plastered with Star Trek and Star Wars posters. He tried popcorn for the first time.
1: It was truly enchanting for them because they lived with an American family and, you know, explored, you know, life with the family for a few days in a way that it was totally unexpected for them. I feel deeply that we, you know, in small ways, we contributed to a different and better level of understanding and appreciation of what is life in the United States.
0: Luka didn't know anything about Xi Jinping in 1985. He wouldn't find out much more until many years later, in 2011, when his boss from the 80s visited China.
2: I get to meet with the new vice president of China, Xi Jinping, in the Great Hall of the People. And he spends 45 minutes telling me how much he loved Iowa and how well he was treated when he was here in 85.
0: Terry Branstad was the governor of Iowa in 1985 and again in 2011.
2: He had his itinerary from the 85 trip and we just were absolutely amazed. So Branstad thought this
0: had to be a good omen for future relations.
2: Oh gosh, Xi Jinping, this will be great. Well, it's not been as great as we thought it would be.
0: I'm Su Lin Wong. From The Economist, this is The Prince, a podcast about China's leader, Xi Jinping. Episode 7. Wolf Warriors. Xi Jinping spent his early career keeping his head down, avoiding controversy. But by the time he got the top job, China had become one of the world's most powerful countries. And Xi had ideas about claiming China's place at the top of the global pecking order. How would this disrupt relations with America and the world? Before he became leader, the American government invited Xi Jinping to meet President Obama in Washington. The White House wanted to figure out who they'd be dealing with. At C's request, the itinerary included
3: an extra stop. So they flew the Chinese 747 probably from D.C. to a Moline airport and then got limos down here for one hour. When it was a wonderful thing. Sarah Landy
0: is 84 and has lived in the small town of Muscatine, Iowa for more than 50 years. She helped organise Xi Jinping's visit there in 1985. And when he said he wanted to go back in 2012, Sarah welcomed him into her home.
3: This is us.
0: Me, Xi Jinping. <laughs> is this, the, this is the couch it all happened? Yes, on. Yeah, yeah, right. So Xi Jinping sat here? Right there. Right. Sarah Landy has framed photos of Xi's visit to Muscatine all around her living room. One shows him sitting exactly where we were. These are all the old friends. This is my husband. Sarah's house is large, with a wooden veranda and garden all the way around. She's filled it with gifts from her old friends in China. Vases, paintings and tapestries. Xi Jinping was only in this house for an hour. But I visited because it's one of the few places that feature in Xi Jinping's official life story that I can actually go to. Imagine making a podcast about Joe Biden, but not being able to go to America or speak to Americans there. That's what making a podcast about Xi Jinping is like. I'm not the only one trying to catch a glimpse of him. Sarah Landy says Chinese people would come to her house too to see where their
3: leader had spent such happy times. We'd see them come sort of looking in the window or something like that. And lots of times we were eager and open to speaking with them too. Uh, Because we want to foster the relationship, you know. And uh, I guess I can't say that it's not surprising to us, but I think... People in China haven't met too many people that their leader is friends with. Friends is perhaps a little strong, but it's the word Xi
0: uses himself. Since becoming China's leader, he and his wife Peng Liyuan have hosted people he met in Iowa for private dinners in Beijing. When Xi was busy,
3: Peng entertained the guests. And she said, well, I just had to figure out who these people were From Iowa, that my husband kept talking about. We talked about a way to commemorate the relationship with Iowa and Hebei. And so she had said we should write a friendship song.
4: There are
3: three beautiful friendship
5: songs.
4: They
3: bring tears to your eyes. It's called uh, Lasting Memory.
0: To party propagandists, Xi Jinping's trip to Iowa was a useful symbol of friendship and profitable trade between China and America. But did it actually reveal anything about Xi's views of the US?
4: He talked about Iowa in fairly positive terms. We came away with the conclusion that at first this is a guy we can probably work with.
0: Evan Medeiros was China director for Obama's National Security Council. He met Xi Jinping when the White House was trying to learn more about China's future leader.
4: To be honest, there was very little that we knew about him. There weren't that many American officials that had met with him before. There was all sorts of theories out there about what kind of person he was going to be.
0: Evan joined Joe Biden on the trip he made as vice president to meet Xi, when they discussed Xi's fears about the Arab Spring over dinner. Before that last night, they'd spent time trying to get to know each other.
4: You know, like any two good leaders, they were sort of making an effort to demonstrate, you know, the friendship between them. Aside from watching both of them try and play basketball at a high school in Chengdu, which was slightly awkward. Uh, Xi Jinping's physicality doesn't sort of lend himself to, you know, shooting hoops with Joe Biden, but it was pretty funny to watch.
0: But Xi Jinping wasn't about to let his guard down over an awkward bit of one-on-one.
4: Xi Jinping is a very controlled and very careful politician. He didn't reveal a lot one way or another. And that's why we invited Xi Jinping to Sunnylands in June of 2013.
0: Sunnylands is a Californian estate that hosts high-level retreats and meetings. American presidents use it as a more relaxed venue for gatherings with foreign leaders.
6: The importance of this uh, relationship in some ways is reflected with uh, the somewhat unusual setting that uh, we are hosting the president in. Uh, Our thought was that we would have the opportunity for a more extended and more informal
5: conversation.
4: The Uh, fact that he was willing to accept Sunnylands and put it together as quickly as they did was a surprise to us it indicated to us that he was interested in exploring and managing the us china relationship
0: again xi jinping was controlled and careful mostly
4: with the exception of this really interesting intervention xi jinping gave about political rectification that left all of us scratching our head and i remember after that session was over we went into the you know the private room and Obama turns to me and he's like, Evan, what exactly is political rectification?
0: More on that in a moment. I'm pausing the story for a brief moment to remind you that if you're not an Economist subscriber, you're missing out. I work with the best China correspondents in the business. Every week they write about all kinds of fascinating China stories, often in very difficult circumstances. To read their coverage, and so much more, you'll need a subscription to The Economist. It's really easy to sign up. Visit economist.com slash Chinapod for our best offer. The link is in the notes for this episode. Now, on with the story. The political rectification that confused Obama turned out to be Xi Jinping's crackdown on corruption and the ideological campaigns he used to seize control of the Communist Party. These efforts would change China's foreign policy too, reflecting Xi's view not only of a stronger, revitalised China, but also a more hostile America. A lot's happened since Xi Jinping first tried popcorn in Muscatine. In the subsequent years, the Chinese Communist Party watched as America celebrated the collapse of the Soviet Union, a seismic event for the party and Xi Jinping himself. The Tiananmen Square democracy protests in 1989 only added to their fears. Then there was the accidental American bombing of the Chinese embassy in Belgrade in 1999, U.S. support for democracy movements across the Middle East in the Arab Spring, and America's criticism of China's human rights record over many years. Under Xi Jinping, the party's official line is that a selfish America is doing whatever it can to contain the rise of China. That resentment comes from the top, even if Xi has fond memories of those nice people in Iowa. In 2009, Xi Jinping gave a speech to the Chinese business community in Mexico.
5: There are some, uh, there are some
0: He accused foreigners, who he said had full bellies and nothing better to do, of unfairly criticising China. He said China doesn't export revolution, poverty or hunger. This was out of character for Chinese officials abroad at the time, who were usually much more diplomatic. And it was this speech in Mexico, more than any professed fondness for Iowa, that turned out to be the true bellwether of C's attitude to the West. Still, Iowa remained a convenient symbol for both the Chinese and the Americans. So as Donald Trump became president, the US government tried to capitalise on Xi Jinping's apparent love of middle America.
2: Donald Trump, at the end of his speech, called me back up on the platform. And he says, oh, Governor said can take care of China for us. And then when he took office January 20th, He appointed me ambassador.
0: Terry Branstad, the former governor of Iowa, may be the person whose life changed the most because of Xi Jinping's trip to Iowa in 1985. He arrived in Beijing as U.S. ambassador to China in the summer of 2017.
2: So I present my credentials to Xi Jinping, and he said, my wife and I would like to host your whole family this year in China for dinner with us. And he did.
0: Randstad's granddaughters sang a song in Mandarin for C, and his wife Peng Liyuan.
2: That was a big hit, and then he had staff that kind of helped entertain them.
0: Their only child, their daughter Ming Zhe, who was 25 by now, was there too.
2: The interesting thing, we wanted to find out more about his daughter. But every question we asked her, her mother answered. So I think they wanted to protect her You know, I know she graduated from Harvard and she came back and and went to uh, Peking and I think maybe got a master's from Peking University. But we were not able to find out. She's working, but we don't know where.
0: (laughs) When was the last time you saw Xi Jinping?
2: Um, I met with him probably six or seven times while I was ambassador.
0: But that was the extent of Branstad's association with Xi The U.S.-China relationship went from bad to worse. This has been long in the making. You've heard many, many speeches by me
7: where I talk about unfair trade practices.
0: Trump took a harder line on China than previous administrations. We have a tremendous intellectual property theft situation going on. These were not new issues for the U.S. Obama had raised some of them with Xi Jinping at Sunnylands.
7: We're doing things for this country that should have been done for many, many years.
8: By the time President Trump left office, there was a bipartisan consensus in the United States that the People's Republic of China was the primary adversary of the United States, was implacably difficult to deal with, and that our strategy of the preceding decades of prioritizing engagement over competition had been an abject failure.
0: Matthew Pottinger was Deputy National Security Advisor to then-President Donald Trump and oversaw his China policy. For him, China's foreign policy flows directly from Xi.
8: He's a (laughs) Marxist-Leninist. He's someone who uh, eats ideology for breakfast. He, He breathes ideology.
0: Xi Jinping regularly talks about great changes on scene in a century. He's referring to global progress in science, technology, and security, but also to his perception of the decline of liberal democracies. The global financial crisis was a real turning point. Chinese officials have said they used to view America as their teacher. But the crisis in 2008 undermined Western economic and political models, so the party became much more confident in its own system. Xi Jinping has watched as COVID killed millions in Europe and America and as Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol in the January 6th riots. And it hasn't been lost on Xi that the United States has stepped back from many of its international commitments.
7: I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal.
4: In what would be an unprecedented retreat of U.S. commitments overseas. The White House wants to slash foreign aid to the United Nations and other world bodies. So
0: after decades of biding his time... President Trump facing new fallout from his decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Leaders from the European Union and China meeting today and reaffirming their commitment to the deal. Xi Jinping seized his
8: opportunity. Our eyes glaze over sometimes to our detriment when we hear all of the euphemisms and stock phrases that Xi Jinping trots out, like a community of common destiny for mankind. But when you actually take the time to learn what he means by that, it's an astonishing vision of remade global governance, remade international institutions to serve the purpose of making the world safe for autocracy
6: and a lot harder for democracy. I think there is a lot of misunderstanding about China mainly due to deep-rooted ideological bias. So behind this ideological bias is always this uh, paradigm of democracy versus autocracy.
0: Zhang Weiwei is a professor of international relations at Fudan University in Shanghai. He doesn't formally represent the Chinese government, but he sees things from their point of view.
6: I have all advocated that we should have a new paradigm to understand China, to understand the world, including the West. That is a paradigm of what I call good governance versus bad governance. As I think China is one of very few countries in the world, uh, non Western world, that found its way to modernization and to success.
0: Zhang Weiwei has a regular column for the news outlet, Guan Cha, known for fueling nationalism. After my Hong Kong visa was denied, Guan Cha accused me of smearing the Hong Kong government's crackdown on protesters.
6: China leads by example. Americans by lectures and sanctions, if not missiles.
0: Zhang Weiwei says China follows its own model for development and engagement with the world. A lot of his arguments are about stability and unity – ideas at the core of Xi Jinping's political project.
6: Without this kind of insistence on the Chinese model, the country, China, could have degenerated into chaos and even perhaps disintegration like Soviet Union. So have avoided this crisis and China's rise is so evident.
0: Zhang Weiwei says it's natural that China is taking a stronger stance in the world.
6: I would draw an analogy to China's famous basketball player Yao Ming. When uh, China is a a country at the height of Yao Ming, there is no way to uh, hide away.
0: Yao Ming is really tall, even for an NBA player. Seven foot six, well over two meters.
6: Uh, China has been given lectures by the West for so many years, so many lectures. So it's reasonable that China now lectures back uh, from time to time.
0: Which is exactly what diplomats now do.
5: And
6: it's the Chinese people
3: who are in the best position to have say about China's human rights situation.
0: China's foreign minister Wang Yi appeared at a memorable press conference in Canada in 2016, alongside his Canadian counterpart. A journalist had a question for Canada's foreign minister. Uh, there There are no shortage of concerns about China's treatment of human rights advocates, such as the Hong Kong booksellers, and its detention of the Garrets, uh, not to mention the destabilizing effects of its territorial ambitions in the South China Sea. After the Canadian Even minister the future, responded, Wang Yi offered his reply.
5: Your I have to say that uh,
3: your question is full of uh, prejudice and against China and uh, arrogance. Where I don't know where that come
5: from. I have
3: to ask, whether you understand China? Have you been to China? Do you know that China has lifted more than 600 million people out of poverty? So I would like to suggest to you that please don't ask questions in such an irresponsible manner China
0: watchers remember this speech for just how frank it was. But it wasn't a one-off explosion. It marked the start of a new style of engagement, one that is far more similar to the tone of Xi Jinping's speech in Mexico. It's become known as Wolf Warrior Diplomacy, named after a patriotic Chinese film franchise. The story follows a former Chinese Special Forces soldier saving people in an unidentified African country from Western mercenaries. In the final scene, the soldier's convoy passes through a village of armed rebels. He raises a huge Chinese flag above his head and they continue driving. The rebel commander yells, it's the Chinese, hold your fire. The convoy drives through the village and is welcomed with cheers at a UN refugee camp. This is how Chinese officials feel they should be received. And when they aren't, well, the lectures may seem undiplomatic, but they play to the home crowd. In 2018, the Communist Party announced there was a new branch of Xi Jinping thought on diplomacy. It includes 10 principles on how diplomats should operate. Top of the list is maintaining the authority of the party. Second is realizing the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. In other words, the ideology and nationalism that Xi used to seize control of the Communist Party domestically are just as important for his foreign policy. Under Xi, it's more important for diplomats to show they are following these directives than to actually engage in diplomacy. It's all part of his program of political rectification that had mystified Obama. In 2021, to mark the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping gave a speech at Tiananmen Square. He was dressed in a Mao suit with that jacket that buttons right up to the
3: neck.
0: The Chinese people will never allow any foreign forces to bully, oppress, or enslave us,
9: he said. Anyone
0: who dares to try to do that will have their heads bashed bloody against the Great Wall of Steel forged by over 1.4 billion Chinese people. Plenty of Chinese people are proud to be a part of the Great Wall of Steel. In China, in China, in China, China Gu Yan Chan is one of China's most popular nationalist bloggers with over 6 million followers. She frequently talks about Chinese superiority and criticizes the West in her videos. She says things like, I really can't extend my empathy to America, and in the face of Chinese superiority, America has run out of tricks. Many of the most widely followed Chinese social media accounts are as nationalistic as this one. Their attacks on other countries aren't systematically censored, so they come with tacit party approval. When the Hong Kong government declined to renew my work visa, it wasn't just the country's most popular news outlets that came after me. Many Chinese social media users posted hateful and racist comments. Gu Yan was one of them, labelling me an Ar gui zi, or a race traitor, a derogatory term for Chinese who helped the Japanese during World War II. It's hard to think of a single foreign correspondent of Chinese heritage who hasn't been subjected to vitriolic attacks like this.
5: And if you want to know why the Chinese Communist Party is so angry with the outside world, I think the core explanation is that many members of the party believe that China has never been so impressive and admirable as it is today.
0: That's David Rennie, the economist's Beijing bureau chief. He spends a lot of time reporting on China's foreign policy.
5: And that they have this extraordinary leader who is a kind of miraculous inheritor of the best emperors the best of the Communist Party, and yet the West is full of criticisms. What about human rights? What about the Uyghurs in Xinjiang? What about what you're doing in Hong Kong? And to Chinese officials and Chinese Communist Party members who I speak to, they are absolutely convinced that the reason we will not give him credit for being the best leader China has ever had is that we are too racist and selfish to allow a non-Western country to be the most impressive country on earth. And that drives them mad with rage. And that is why they are in this state of uh, hubris and paranoia and extreme frustration with foreign criticism. And it is an extraordinarily combustible mix.
0: Of course, the story of China's rise isn't quite so simple.
5: I think that the Chinese Communist Party's uh, claim to be the best government that China has ever had involves a quite deliberate program of amnesia about the fact that Chinese communist leaders, starting with Chairman Mao, basically clubbed the Chinese economy to death with a stick for 30 years. And then when Mao died, the economy finally staggered to its feet again through the hard work of the Chinese people. They have been allowed by their own incredible hard work to lift themselves out of poverty.
0: China's economy is now more than 20 times the size it was when Xi Jinping stayed in Muscatine among that Star Trek memorabilia. That's part of what Zhang Weiwei means when he compares China to the basketball player Yao Ming. And it's one reason why Xi, and Chinese diplomats and commentators, are more comfortable throwing their weight around now. Not just with words, but with actions. China is increasingly using its growing economic might as a political weapon.
9: I... Saw with my own eyes how in the UN China has changed.
0: Christoph Huysgen was the top foreign policy advisor to Germany's former chancellor, Angela Merkel, before he became the country's ambassador to the UN.
9: China changed from kind of a junior partner of Russia in the Security Council from a country that was always highlighting that they are a developing country, more in the backseat, that they became very active. They blackmailed African countries and other countries and were very much aggressive.
0: Hoyskin has said he's seen African ambassadors reading from Chinese talking points at the UN. African diplomats say China has promised aid or financing in return for support at the UN. Christoph Heusken says that foreign policy stance comes from C himself. He remembers one telling conversation at a dinner between Xi Jinping and Angela Merkel.
9: She had a Discussion with President Xi about how do you behave as a country that is kind of you know the big guy in an environment where you have smaller countries around, and the Chancellor said that we have drawn the lessons from our history so that we try to be a guy who um, really takes um, into account the interest of the of the smaller ones and tries to accommodate them. So, you know, as a bigger guy, you have to be more ready to give in.
0: Xi Jinping told Merkel that he'd learned a very different lesson from the history of China.
9: Xi said, well, our history teaches me that you know, we have been nice and uh, our neighbors and enemies have been all over us. And what I get from my political you know, forefathers is that we never give ground.
0: But one goal brings out the bully in China more than any other. Its ambition to take the democratic island of Taiwan.
2: We begin with some breaking news. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has arrived in Taiwan. Now, China had said the visit would cross a red line, and Biden...
0: Earlier this year, the US Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, made the highest profile visit of an American politician to Taiwan in decades.
3: Just as House Speaker Nancy Pelosi was waving farewell to Taiwan, China responding by firing warning shots.
0: China its didn't just respond fire fire with military exercises. It cut imports of fruit and fish from Taiwan. It used naval drills to show how it could blockade the island and cut it off from the rest of the world. The Communist Party claims Taiwan as part of China. The island was taken as a Japanese colony in 1895. Then, in 1949, millions of Chinese retreated into exile there after the Communist Party won the civil war in the mainland. Since then, Taiwan has evolved into a self-governing territory with a thriving democracy. But Xi Jinping sees taking the island as the last unfinished business of the Communist Party's revolution. Joe Biden has vowed to defend Taiwan if China ever attacks. And Xi Jinping, too, says China reserves the right to use military force. But he also says China wants to avoid that. We Chinese should not fight each other, he says. A peaceful reunification works best for the people on both sides.
8: So this is this moment that Xi has steeled himself for.
0: Matthew Pottinger is the former Trump advisor.
8: If you you really look at Xi Jinping's speeches over the years, uh, you can see this theme is deeply embedded, this idea that China is readying itself for this great struggle. In his most recent important speeches, he quotes Mao Zedong from that 1950 era, and and she applauds Mao's line that China must be ready to throw one punch in order to avoid a 100 punches. It's very windy
7: out here today, but uh, we farm approximately 4,000 acres. And uh, we do that with three people, basically.
0: Rick Kimberly is a soybean and corn farmer in Iowa. His farm is about a three-hour drive from Muscatine through wide open fields of crops as far as the eye can see. Uh,
7: But we're out here by grain bins. We have about 500,000 bushel worth of storage here.
0: I visited on a gusty spring day, continuing my journey in Xi Jinping's footsteps. Xi Jinping visited this farm on his 2012 trip. Rick showed him around.
7: He was looking at this large tractor, so I just said, would you like to get in the tractor? <laughs> and so he didn't wait for the, re- for the interpreter, he went to the tractor. He exactly. So he knew what yeah, I said. Yeah. He enjoyed it. He really enjoyed that. And, and one cool thing, this picture was in a lot of newspapers around the United States
0: as well as the world. A picture of a delighted Xi Jinping on that tractor featured prominently in the Chinese press afterwards, too. He was so impressed that he asked Rick to build a replica of his farm in Herbei Province, Iowa's sister state. But that wasn't enough to protect Rick and his family from the fallout of spiraling US-China tensions.
7: The price definitely went down, and, and that affects us as a family, as a farm family. Uh, so uh, that was uh, it was
8: a big hard time for us. Our exports were cut dramatically because China, at that point, both sides had tariffs on each other.
0: This is Grant Kimberly, Rick's son. He's a director at the Iowa Soybean Association and helps his dad on the farm. In 2018, Donald Trump started imposing tariffs on imports of various metals and home appliances, many of which came from China. Xi Jinping responded with several different tariffs including on soybeans
7: when the political uh, issues come into play and it's happened two or three times through my life of being a farmer this is my 50th year at the farm wow i didn't even realize that (laughs) yeah so it's it's i've seen it before and it can make a major hurt on your industry and on on you and there's nothing you can do about it so um that was, it was a concern.
4: You didn't know how long it was going to last either.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So it felt different.
7: It, it, yeah. it was different.
3: Yeah. We all sort of feel like the people that we know in China are our dear friends, which is, makes us wishing that relations could get better so we could keep that friendship growing. Sarah Landy, who hosted Sea on Her Couch in
0: Muscatine, Iowa, holds onto her memories of better times. But she's clinging on to a story
3: that the party has ultimately turned into a propaganda tool. The four guys that travelled with Xi Jinping, they wrote up their memories and impressions of that trip. Sarah Landy and some other volunteers turned those memories
0: into a book. Luca Baroni and Terry Branstad contributed too. It's got pictures and stories and those mistranslated Food Association documents.
3: Other Chinese did not want their pictures in there much because this was Xi Jinping's book. He's the guy that should have the photos. Does
0: Muscatine still matter to see himself? Sarah sent him a copy of the book earlier this year. He wrote back. His reply? The Chinese people are ready to keep on joining the American people in strengthening friendly exchanges. In Xi Jinping's China... Even a book of anecdotes from nearly 40 years ago needs to toe the line. Before Sarah's book was published,
3: the Chinese authorities had chunks of it censored. Stories about uh, uh, funny travelling jokes, you know, what they talked about, how they compared U.S. universities to China universities at that time, and things had to be sort of from the Chinese point of view.
0: Xi Jinping spent his first years in power building a political machine ready to meet this moment in history. And he's applied it in his dealings with the world too, increasing pressure on countries, people and organisations that aren't willing to accommodate Communist Party priorities. Then, in 2020, that political machine faced its biggest test of all. That's next time. The Prince is produced by Claire Reid, Sam Colbert, Barclay Bram and me. Our sound designer is Wei Dong Lin, with original music by Darren Ng. Our executive producer is John Shields. We couldn't have made this without the help of some very brave people we can't name. For more of The Economist's China coverage, get the best offer on a subscription at economist.com slash chinapod.